Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. We don't want to just give students something that's going to add on more stress and anxiety. These students have enough COVID anxiety. They have enough climate anxiety. Yes. I think the younger generation is much more brilliant than we're giving them credit for at this time. And I think that the solutions to many of our problems might come from them. The need to amplify these voices and to bring these conversations into places that they weren't happening before to continue the conversation because I would have never imagined in a million years that uh, the grade nine students would be able to tell me about environmental racism in such a direct manner and with so much articulation. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... Getting them exposed and, I think, making sure that they learn it and don't have to go through a process of learning the wrong history and then unlearning and then relearning. That's Mm. a much, much harder process. It's much harder to personally go through that yourself. So we're trying to provide them with the information that they need right up front and make sure that that information is also legitimate and viable and taught in a culturally sensitive manner. It's late at night and a bleary-eyed teacher happens upon the website for a new grassroots organization. Under our vision, it reads, We believe that mobilizing our communities to think about sustainable solutions will have a huge positive impact in Canadian households, mosques, communities, workplaces and civil society. This is an excerpt from the vision statement of Green OMA a non-profit dedicated to creating a green movement in the Canadian Muslim community. Ian spoke with Green Oma's co-founder, Odile Nathani, to discuss how environmentalism fits into the five pillars of Islam, why the newly created Green Oma curriculum is focused on solutions and environmental justice, and how to make Ramadan more green. So is there a story from the Quran that you could single out that teaches respect for nature and i know that's maybe a hard question to start off with but is there one that comes to mind or that's maybe very personal for you well when it comes to the quran i think it's it's fascinating because there's many points where it does turn to nature and i think what sticks to me most and what we kind of had in our minds as we were forming green ummah were were two teachings i think one is uh that god in the quran calls us the khalifa of the, the mm-hmm. earth, which is basically the steward or the uh, the guardian of the earth, um, the deputy, God's deputy on earth. So I see that as a, a massive responsibility to maintain the balance that he created within nature uh, and to keep uh, and to take care of the earth as he created it. In other parts of the Quran, it says not to spread corruption. And this has been interpreted to mean not to destroy the planet or ruin the harmony or the balance that was created on the planet um, in all the natural natural spaces. So I think that kind of sticks with us as we we started, um, that kind of stuck with us as we started uh, creating a green mind, forming it and thinking about what our responsibility would be. But the other thing that really kind of sticks out is that God in the Quran tells us, which of my signs do you deny? Which of my ayat is the Arabic word for it? Do you deny? And there's many verses in the Quran where God points to signs in nature as his signs of uh, of his oneness and his supreme being. So, you know, the mountains, the crops, the, the, the universe and the balance built within the universe, um, the design and the art filled into nature things like that, the seas, the high seas, and, and so on and so forth. And in fact, one of our activities, which um, we might touch on when we talk about the curriculum a little later, also encourages students to think about the signs or ayat of Allah or of God within their own localized urban space, urban natural spaces, and and really connect with God in that way. So when it comes to nature in there, I think um, 
I, I know there's over 500 verses in the Quran that talk about nature or natural phenomenon, but I think it's these two teachings that really kind of resonate with me, that we have to be responsible for the planet because God put that burden on us, if nothing else, and that we also have to look into nature to see the signs of God and the oneness of God. And, you know, it is incredible. Sometimes you'll be drive, I'll be driving down or walking down uh, sunset time and I'll be like, wow, that, that is a beautiful sunset. And you kind of just take stock of that moment, uh, capture it forever in your mind and kind of reminds you of the power of God and the, the oneness of God there. Is there anything from your early life that sticks with you as a time when you saw those signs? It's a very deep, uh, deep question there. <laughs> I, I would have to say it, it, it is those those signs. You know, I think less so in my early life because maybe I wasn't so aware and awake to it. And that has a message in it of itself to not give up on people because you can always change your habits and, and right. become aware of these things. But I do know recently as I pre-COVID, as I started traveling the world a little more and seeing nature spaces and mountains and climbing mountains a little more and you kind of just have to take stock of yourself in those moments and be like wow the streams here are clean pure and beautiful the natural spaces here the animals the wildlife and just you know the mountain itself is just massive and when you compare yourself to it you take stock of all of that i think i think those moments really resonate with me and and give me a reason as well to want to work within this space where we are preserving this for future generations. Yes, this is something that comes up in a lot of the nature writing from authors right across the board is this sense of awe and the importance of that sense of awe and the sublime of nature and how that for many people is the starting point to developing that relationship, that respect, that care and that desire to preserve it and protect and have a regenerative sustainable relationship with it so I, I hear a lot of that in what you're describing if we move through the five pillars of islam how does environmentalism and to break that down thinking about concepts like sustainability reciprocity regeneration how does that fit into each of those five pillars mm -hmm. so for our listeners who may not know i'll maybe just touch on the five pillars first so please do you have the the shahada which is your declaration of the the oneness of god your salah which is your five daily prayers that muslims are obliged to make uh on a daily basis at different times of the day uh your zakat which is uh giving to the needy uh your fasting uh which we have the month of ramadan starting uh today uh, uh potentially <laughs> we're filming we're recording this a little bit ahead of time so yeah, but it, it drops the, month, the first day yeah. the month of ramadan starting today i'm making that declaration now and uh and the hajj or the the pilgrimage that we take to mecca is also one of our five pillars of islam so when i think about that and i think about going back to the first one which is the shahada and that's kind of you declaring the oneness of god as the creator and the sustainer of of life and and the oneness of God as he created everything in perfect harmony. And, you know, you see that this balance in nature that is untouched from human space, whether it, uh, mm. you know, from the mountains to the animals, to the rivers, the seas, the, the little streams from the smallest of the animals that we, we live here with to, to the largest, grandest beluga whales in, in the oceans. I think that there's a harmony and a connection that we see the circle of life um, that, that has been built here and how everything is interconnected and relies on each other and is not meant to be disturbed. And I think um, from an Islamic perspective, we're kind of chalking that down to the perfection of the creation, right? And, uh, and, and the balance that was created there. So I think there's, there's that for the Shahada. Moving on to our five daily prayers, um, I have to say, for anyone who has ever prayed out in nature at any given time, it is a different feeling, I think, entirely. Mm -hmm. And it does connect you differently spiritually to the space that you're in and, and to your surroundings at that time. Uh, the placing of the forehead on the ground, uh, very symbolic and very strong connection, especially if you're out somewhere in nature. And then also to think about it, you know, we, before we pray, we do wudu or ablution. It's kind of to purify ourselves before we pray. And we do this with water. So one of nature's greatest gifts to us is what we're using to purify us um, to, to be able to pray in front of our Lord. Looking even at giving and, and zakat, and you're talking about 
regeneration or I would even say generation in this point, you know, we have mm-hmm. to create, um, we have to give part of our wealth to those who are in need. That is a part of our religion, part of our belief. Um, and I've loved to, I've, I love how it has manifested itself, you know, whereby we're giving, um, giving to people to build wells and things like that is all part of the, uh, is all part of our zakat obligations. A lot of people do build wells across the world and to give the gift of water, which is one of the greatest gifts I think out there um, mm-hmm. so that I can kind of connect it to, to Zakat in that way. And then with fasting, it you know, you kind of have an appreciation, especially in the month of Ramadan or in the Western Western world and the Northern hemisphere, our, our Ramadans have been very long <laughs> in recent history, uh, sometimes <laughs> going to 9.30 or 10 o'clock. And you really kind of appreciate what God has given to you, you know, giving up food and water. Um, and it provides us an opportunity to become, to reset ourselves spiritually and otherwise. And, you know, all of that kind of put together, kind of gives you an opportunity to connect more with the environment around you and be a little more uh, cognizant of the things, the, of the things around you. We also do a sacrifice around eat time of, uh, of animals usually goats or, or something along that end and it kind of shows us how to engage with animals and how god intended for us to engage with animals it's customary uh, with that sacrifice to feed the needy to make sure you're not wasting any of the food to make sure you do the sacrifice in a humane way so in a way also engaging with nature um, in, in those spaces and respecting nature in those spaces where we're, we're kind of understanding the circle of life um, and that one day we are going to be to go very cliche and very Lion King, but one day we are going to be the uh, the grass that these animals are going to be eating, yes, right? Yes, into the soil. Right back into the soil. There it's a good go. Hamlet reference, too, with the Lion King overlap. <laughs> <laughs> it was my favorite movie growing up. So oh, likewise. Like, to, no, no joke. It actually was. I had to throw it in somewhere. I mean, I've been yeah me and my cousin used to act out the scenes and i made sure he was always uh he was always mufasa when it came to the falling down yeah yeah you never had to to fall (laughs) but no and then uh, turning back to the question um the last the last of it would be the the hajj or the the pilgrimage to Mecca, and i think this one actually has quite a very interesting symbolic meaning um you can see nature and animals kind of submit to god and the oneness of god you know they're there's videos and we can search this online of birds circling the Kaaba as well, uh, or, or the, mm. uh, the, the Holy mosque as well in the same direction and the same, uh, the same direction that we all circle it when we go for our pilgrimage. So it's insane to see that kind of connection for us. And it kind of reminds us of the oneness of God. But beyond that, I think if you look back into, into scripture and you have the well of, of Zamzam that is in Mecca and it was, a uh, for thousands of years, it's been uh, it's been the source that is sustaining this ancient desert valley that is known as Mecca and uh, has led to the growth that we see today. And so again, we're seeing the power of water and the generation of water that can come from uh, and the generation that water can lead to. And I think part of part of that is part of uh, uh, that is one of the reasons that Islam focuses so specifically on the conservation of resources, especially water. And, you know, to the point where our teachings even tell us that during ablution or wudu before prayer, we should be using as minimal water as possible. And there's, there's specific methods um, that are taught the, about how we can do this. So I think it's, it's very interesting, especially that the water aspect, uh, uh, tying everything back to water and purity in that sense. And I think for those of us like you and I who live in the Great Lakes Basin, this bounty of fresh water, it's so easy to take it for granted. I mean, we have Lake Ontario, <laughs> Lake Erie, oh. and it is such a precious resource that so many people do not have access to. And it's just so gratifying to hear that that conservation for water is front and center because I need to remind myself that this is an mm-hmm. incredible privilege to live here and have this amount of fresh water right at our fingertips. Oh, it, it's insane. I come, uh, I was born in Kenya and I come from Kenya and, you know, just the difference in, in water quality and water accessibility um, that, that yeah. we have between Canada and Kenya and over there. I have to be very careful when I'm turning on the tap, if there's running water in the taps and, you know, even in terms of cleanliness, uh, clean water supplies and things like that. But I think 
here, especially in Canada, where we are so fortunate, I would say so fortunate in our urban areas to have such clean yes. and accessible water, we do need to be a lot more careful. And we also do need to be cognizant of the fact that there are Indigenous folks on Turtle Island and in what is now Canada who do not have the same access to water, despite the fact that for generations and generations and generations, they have been the ones taking care of this water. Yes, and we'll certainly, when we get into talking more about the curriculum, we'll look at ways to bring in those Indigenous perspectives. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. It's the first day of Ramadan as well as the first week of Earth Month. This convergence offers a perfect opportunity for a month-long inquiry-based project. One of your first major projects with Green Uma has been the Green Uma curriculum, and its goal is to provide, and I quote, I provide middle school and high school students an intersectional understanding of the environmental movement, equip them with methodologies to build sustainable and equitable solutions, and create opportunities for digital collaboration between Muslim youth across Canada. A word that stands out there is the word solutions. Why was it so important to make the lessons in this curriculum so solutions-oriented? Mm-hmm. That is a, a fantastic question and something that we were very cognizant of as we were building out the curriculum. Perhaps I can take just a quick minute to recap what the curriculum is for the listeners who may not know and may not know about it or may not have for heard sure. about it. But essentially what we have done here in the past two years is built out what we've called the Greening Our Communities Toolkit. It's currently being taught and piloted at five Islamic high schools in Ontario at the grade nine level. Uh, The toolkit has four modules to it. The first module looks at what it means to be green and gives a quick snapshot of the environmental and biodiversity crises that we're facing. The second module looks at why you think the way you think or addresses kind of bias and worldviews and encourages students to think about their own bias and worldviews, and especially as they're thinking about solutions to kind of open their mind and expand their mind to the fact that there are other ways of thinking out there beyond just uh, is beyond just staying within a capitalist or colonial framework when you're thinking about solutions. Mm-hmm. The third module is a very deep dive on Islam and the environment looking at Quranic interpretations and uh, other teachings from from the Quran and uh, from the stories of the prophet. And finally, uh, we look at what it means to build a just green movement where we focus on environmental racism, specifically in Black and Indigenous communities here in, uh, in Canada itself, locally for a lot of the students who don't live too far from some of the affected, affected places. And then each module has is activity-based, solution-based. And we've also, uh, through our partnership with Nature Canada, managed to get these kids to take field trips into nature spaces and reduce the barriers that they have to accessing nature. So it's been a very exciting uh, time for us uh, as we've launched the curriculum. To go back to the question as to why um, solutions were emphasized, I think it's because the topic itself is so, it's so grim. It's so, Mm. it's so doomsday like and we don't want to just give students something that's going to add on more stress and anxiety these students have enough covid anxiety they have enough climate anxiety yes. they, they have enough anxiety in general we don't want to just add to their problems and say now just sit with this yeah <laughs> have a good night yeah like just go home and sit with this no we yeah. wanted them to feel like they're part of the solution like they can be part of the solution and they they should be part of the solution if they wish to be. Um, So that's why we decided to make it solution-based. And the other side of it also is that I think the younger generation is much more brilliant than we're giving them credit for at this time. And I think that the solutions to many of our problems 
might come from them actually i think tiktok has been one one great tool for them to keep learning and i'm excited <laughs> to see what point. solutions they come up with is there a mechanism for scaling up individual actions i know this is a really interesting talking point when we mm -hmm. look at climate change education is instilling agency in students by looking at local measurable actions without losing sight of the fact that we do need systems level changes. Are there any examples of lessons that can work at an individual level that can then be scaled up and can maybe operate on a school level and then maybe on a board level and on and on and mm -hmm. on sort of like concentric circles? The first thing I'd say about systems change is that within these systems, we have to remember that there are still individuals and people, right. and it's about changing the mindset of those individuals and people. And I'm hoping that these kids who are learning now and, and taking our toolkit in the future will be the folks who will be in some of those spaces in the future. Um, so just changing what they're being taught about the environment, how they're being taught to look at the environment, I think from, from this age will give them a better understanding and put them in a better position than at least I was in based off of the education that I was receiving on these topics. That said, looking at individual changes and systems changes, I do think that there is a, the curriculum did a very good job of making these students feel like through their individual actions, they can lead to systems change. So one of our most unique um, unique activities that we had them do was after the Islam and the Environment uh, a module that they had, they actually wrote letters to local stakeholders, whether it was um, it was their principal, whether it was a local Muslim business or non-Muslim business, whether it was a politician in their area, MP, MPP, or, or city councilor, or anyone else who kind of held some kind of stake and, and had a say in what was happening within the community to encourage them to think more environmentally friendly, provide some solutions and easy, sustain, easy things that that person could implement in their position and why they should be implementing it. So through that, I found um, a lot of the students did decide to go to the school and write a letter to the principal yes. and say, hey, this is what we should be doing. And this is the change that it will bring. This is why we need to do it. So for them to, and even some of the other students writing to local businesses, and we actually got the letters um, edited and sent out. And I think it kind of gives the students a little more hope in what they're doing and gives them those skills that they can also carry on into the future as they learn how to become advocates for the environment or whatever it is that they might go on to advocate for. Systems change will start on an individual level, and we hope that we're managing to pull that off with the curriculum one student at a time. Yeah, and I think there's been a lot of emphasis, especially lately, about the need for people to be educated in civics. What is your role in a society? And this is a way mm -hmm. for them to get involved in that without it being, quote unquote, a civics lesson. It just inherently is because of what you are engaging students in doing. So I, I really applaud you on that. Well, it kind of goes back to one thing I always I always said, and I, I think I've been caught saying this on a recording before, but that's whether you're eight years old or 80 years old, the people in, uh, in power have to listen to you. They have to open their door to you. So if you're not knocking and you don't put yourself out there, nothing's going to change, right? That's exactly right. And that links to our discussion about environmental racism and we just came off of february and black history month and looking at some of the trailblazers in the environmental environmental movement such as robert bullard who did all that great work and is still doing a lot of great work in environmental justice we look at right here in canada with dr ingrid waldron previously at dalhousie now at mcmaster uh, we actually had her on one of our first episodes and the documentary that she was involved in, which was based on her book, is about environmental racism, specifically in Nova Scotia, for those who aren't familiar, a small province in Atlantic Canada on the East Coast. And she was focusing on Indigenous and Black communities in Nova Scotia. And how can we bring those voices to the forefront? And how have you brought those voices to the forefront with this curriculum? Well, first of all, I, I do want to say I do admire Dr. Ingrid Waldron a lot. I've mm. had the opportunity, unfortunately, not to speak with her ever, but uh, but to listen to her speak on panels and, and watch the documentary, which I think is on Netflix. So you should all check it, it out is. on Netflix. Yeah, it, it's a watch. It's a hard watch, but it is something that yeah, I think there's something Canadian, in the water. Yeah, something in the water, something every Canadian should uh, should watch to understand what's happening. In terms of how we're trying to 
amplify voices, I think it, it comes down to giving a platform first and foremost. So at Greenoma, beyond just the curriculum, we've also, with our conference that we ran back in 2021, with some of our other events that have been specifically targeted at bridging the cultural gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities, um, we even ran a, a specific event on just Black and Indigenous racism faced uh, in the context of the environment that we ran uh, through a mosque in Calgary uh, back at the end of October, beginning of November 2021 as well. So I think the first thing coming up is the need to amplify these voices and to bring these conversations into places that they weren't happening before to continue the conversation um, to lead to a more robust conversation in those spaces. I do have to say the Muslim community in, in Canada, we still do have ways to go in, in understanding colonization and, and, and what's been happening with the indigenous folks with, with the, the indigenous folks in Canada. And part of that way is, is these conversations. And the second part is that we've been trying is through the curriculum. So like I said, the fourth module looks specifically at Black and Indigenous instances of environmental racism. And we'll, we'll kind of go through that module a little more later on. But I think um, providing that information to students who previously probably haven't been exposed to any of this. Um, exactly. We, I was never exposed to, to, to any yeah, of this. I know my whenever I talk to folks a little bit older, all the way up to my parents' age, they were never exposed to any of this. So it's about getting them exposed and I think making sure that they learn it and don't have to go through a process of learning the wrong history and then unlearning and then relearning. Mm-hmm. That's a much, much harder process. It's much harder to personally go through that yourself. So we're trying to provide them with the information that they need right up front and make sure that that information is also legitimate and viable and taught in a culturally sensitive manner. For the curriculum alone, we um, partnered with, or we consulted with Future Ancestors, a wonderful organization um, yes. that is Black and Indigenous uh, led. And they they kind of went through that module for us to ensure that everything in there was factually correct, was culturally sensitive and was being taught in the proper manner. So, you know, there there is one thing to say to just give someone a platform, but we also do want to make sure we're doing it in the right and respectful manner as well. Of course. Did you know that a subscription to Green Teacher includes access to our massive and fast-growing archive of 500-plus ready-to-use activities, lesson plans, and articles? The recording of each new webinar goes into the archive, too, and there are 120 of those and counting. To save you time, because educators never have enough of it, right? Everything is organized by topic and age group. Learn more by visiting greenteacher.com slash subscribe. We also have special rates available for bulk orders from your school, board, district, faculty of ed, or organization. As always, all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. The teacher sees that Green Oma's 2020 Ramadan Challenge involved four overall goals. Conserving water, reducing food waste, reducing energy consumption, and connecting with nature. These will all work well for the month-long project. Well, I'll put you on the spot a bit here (laughs) to have you sort of walk us through an example lesson and you can sort of deploy me any way you wish. I can be a a pupil. I can be a a Uh, fellow teacher. Uh, Really, you have the floor to give us a bit of a taste of this curriculum for any educators out there who are thinking, hey, maybe this could be a fit with my learners. Mm Mm-hmm. So for, just to continue in the same uh, direction that we're going in, I guess we can go ahead with the fourth module, which is what are the, the barriers to accessing the environment, kind of a focus on <clears throat> environmental racism and environmental justice. And okay. I will, uh, I can also, and you know, to educators who may also be listening, I hope you're listening, uh, considering this is called green learning. Um <laughs> Uh, I can let you know that we have met the educational requirements with this project, with this, uh, with these modules for several um, classes within the Ontario curriculum. So, for instance, this module specifically can be taught in a grade nine geography or a grade eleven equity studies course. And Ian, since you uh, since you volunteered, I might actually, Uh-oh. yeah, hey, you you asked for this a little bit, so. <laughs> So we'll get through this. So 
basically uh, we start off um, and the teachers kind of explain why talking about environmental racism is important, why defining it is important and why this is a, an issue that should be discussed in classes today. You know, our goal for this is to have students define racism, systemic racism and environmental racism, as well as critically assess um, the examples of environmental racism and how they impact marginalized populations in Canada. And one of the first activities we make them do is uh, we, we share the definitions of privilege and of oppression, and we give them two minutes to reflect uh, where in their life they might experience uh, privilege or oppression. Um, and then we kind of want them to discuss the nuance of it. So I don't know if you want to take a moment with me and maybe we can both take, we can just do this out loud and maybe just shoot some ideas as to where we have experienced privilege or oppression and then work from there. Certainly. I think in terms of privilege, I've been afforded opportunities not necessarily based on merit. And oftentimes it's implicitly so. And I feel like I am welcomed into certain situations when I haven't really earned it specifically. And sometimes that's in staff meetings. Sometimes that's in other organizations. And whether it's based on uh, how I look or how I dress, I can't say for certain. But I certainly have at various times felt like I appreciate the fact that I'm being welcomed, but I don't feel as though I have earned that just yet. So that's certainly a, an area where I have experienced what I believe is opportunity because of privilege how about on your end so, so some more doors opening or whatnot yeah i think it, in terms of my end and i look at it contextually as well um you know gr growing up in um in scarborough on the east side of toronto and mm -hmm. growing up uh you know the, the privilege that I, I the first thing that can come to my mind is that growing up you know in the neighborhoods around mine were not always the safest places to be growing up i wouldn't have done it any other way but I was privileged enough that the little cul-de-sac we, we stay in is, is considered to be very safe. And I was able to because of that uh, and because of good, good parenting on, on the part of my parents and things like that, kind of keep myself focused in, in school and work through life um, like someone who might not have been uh, like someone who might not have been from my ends, you know, making it all the way through to law school, finishing law school, becoming a lawyer. It's not always something that's seen. For, from these ends uh, in, in Scarborough. So I, I can't say I am privileged that I was able to grow, grow up with, uh, with the right understanding of, of life uh, in that sense. Um, it's hard, mm -hmm. to, hard to beat the privilege that you, uh, you espoused there, not going to lie. Yeah. But, and then I guess we can quickly take a second and think about a way that we have faced uh, oppression yeah, or expressed, uh, or, yeah, experienced any kind of oppression in our lives. And yeah, I, I've certainly been down the road of eco-anxiety, climate anxiety. It goes by multiple different names. And I'm guarded against denouncing our economic system outright because I think a trade-based <laughs> system, I mean, a, a system based on trade that allows for social mobility really is revolutionary in many ways. But in its current incarnation, particularly the neoliberal incarnation of it, this deregulated race to the top that has resulted in much bigger gaps over the past 40 years and has mm -hmm. resulted in a just astronomical amount of money migrating to the top. That has oppressed the planet. That has oppressed so many people on the planet. It certainly had an impact on my mental health and the mental health of many people around me. And mm -hmm. when you really recognize how much we have known about the biodiversity and the climate crisis and how little has been done and how many billions of dollars have been poured into propaganda to stop any efforts to mitigate. It's incredibly frustrating and is, I mean, a, a, an almost indescribable form of oppression. Mm -hmm. Negligible to the point of, of oppression and you have the same few exactly. people benefiting off it while the rest of humanity and the rest of the crew, the animals and nature on the planet are suffering because That's right. of it. Yeah. Um, what I would say in terms of oppression, I mean, not the easiest thing for me to get through a border to lighten that up mm -hmm. of it, you know, but what I really want or what we really wanted students to think about as they're going through this is the definition of 
privilege of oppression and the nuanced relationship that it can have, that you can be privileged in one way, but oppressed in another way. And it's kind of this fine balancing act that, you know, I, I think a lot of adults and folks with much uh, much more mature mindsets are still struggling to comprehend properly, but it's something that we want students to start thinking about. That you know we're, we're not playing an oppression Olympics here, but we do have to understand where people are where people are coming from, right? And and what might work in their favor and what might not work in their favor, right? And and for you, it, you know, you might have one foot in the door, but at the end of the day, you're I don't think ever going to join that elite neoliberal that neoliberal elite, right? And that's always going to I plan not to. <laughs> that system, that system, the way the system is built is always going to keep people, uh, is always going to create a hierarchy and that hierarchy is only getting more and more visible. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of have the students understand that that's, that's how we, we start and students have an idea, uh, have, will have opportunities to reflect on it, to also have discussions on it with their teachers. And then we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of environmental racism in Canada. So that's kind of a, a quick warm-up activity to what is uh, some very intense uh, thing, uh, some very intense topics that the students go through. So the way we decided to teach about environmental racism in Canada is by giving case studies. So students will first learn about Africville and what happened in Nova Scotia, yes, uh, in Halifax. Um, a tragedy that an entire community was was erased from that from that part of Halifax and and you can see the impacts of it to this day there you know you no longer have that community but also there was an environmental impact that went along with the dispossession of land there were zoning policies and and other decisions made on a policy level that disproportionately impacted and targeted these people uh, and led to what we have today which is which is that there are no no homes left in that community that was once mm-hmm. so vibrant so students started off by first learning about africville and then they get into groups and uh and they each individual group one learns about chemical valley which is in sarnia yes. which our our school our pilot school in windsor um was able to uh connect with a lot on a much deeper level than some of the pilot schools around the GTA only because of the proximity and the fact that many of them had been to the Sarnia region and have seen the insane factories around Chemical Valley and what it's doing to the area and the environment and the communities there. And the second group looks at the coastal gas link pipeline and the Wet'suwet'en territorial everything happening with the Wet'suwet'en people out west and the students are encouraged to think about a history of the place um, going all the way back to pre-colonization to find out who was there before, who's been displaced as time has moved on, what the current situation is. They're encouraged to think about what the problem is and also think about how that problem is systemic and how it's been created at a policy level at a, uh, and t- almost been targeted at these people who have been affected. And teachers are also encouraged as these conversations are going on to discuss environmental racism, give proper definitions for environmental racism and work through the module that way. And one fascinating, fascinating thing I will share, I think the, the listeners will really enjoy this. Yeah. So I, a couple of weeks ago, I uh, went to uh, the Windsor Islamic High School with uh, an Indigenous speaker that we took because the students at, were, were actually really interested in hearing more about about environmental racism. And the one thing that really, really stuck out to me was the first thing the speaker said or asked was, who here can define environmental racism for me? And it was a class of about 19 or 20 students. Each and every hand shot up. And these are grade nine students. Wow. And they were actually able to articulate what environmental racism is at a university level. And to have that understanding, I think, and that foundation from grade nine, I, I would hope really forms uh, a valuable part of their education as they go through uh, the rest of high school. But it, it was surreal to me because I would have never, never imagined in a million years that uh, the grade nine students would be able to tell me about environmental racism in such a direct manner and with so much articulation. Underestimate the next generation at your peril. <laughs> they're 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 way too smart way too smart but that's a to, good to, problem to have oh, 
good problem. I, I often say that my generation's role will be to just take some of the barriers away, but eventually we have to just turn to the folks behind us and say, okay, you take over and they're going to be the ones to take a bulldozer and tear down yeah, the entire <laughs> system. Yeah, you go for it, please. We're, we're tired. But to finish up as well, um, students uh, also do a capstone project where they uh, research a localized issue to their neighborhoods or, or to their cities or municipalities. And then using the lens of privilege, oppression and critical thinking and environmental racism, they explore a specific problem that they found and then they also to go back to solution-based uh, approaches hey. propose a solution for it and part of that solution they have to talk about how their solution uh, addresses the dispor- disproportionate impact on marginalized or racialized people well thank you for taking us along on that journey and again any educators who are out there can visit greenuma.org to learn more about how they can get involved Yep. And shoot us an email where we're always around and, uh, and happy to work with you guys, with, uh, with educators. We might also be in the, uh, we're also in the process of planning some workshops. So if that might also be an option for a classroom or a community organization or the materials also uh, at a level where I think folks who are in their working careers who haven't engaged with this before would still be able to meaningfully learn from it. Excellent. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like busy bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favorite podcast app. Even better, there's a new Ramadan challenge this year, though most of the details are being kept on the wraps for now. Back on the homepage, the teacher sees something that could tie everything together, the Green Oma curriculum. We will finish off by talking a bit about the Ramadan challenge, and we are in the spirit of full transparency. We are recording this well in advance, but the episode If you are listening now, it is either the first day of Ramadan or sometime thereafter of the year 2022, at least according to the solar calendar. Uh, The Islamic calendar is according to the lunar cycle, which I believe is 11 days behind. I would have to, 11 or 12 days behind the solar calendar. Something like that, yeah. Uh, But the Ramadan challenge was one of, another one of your initial projects with Green Ummah, and it has four goals. So just quickly, what are the four goals? What are the four goals? So for 2022, we actually have something very exciting. And check out our social media at Green Uma. Uma is U-M-M-A-H on Instagram. And I'm sure you will see it there today. We're actually basing this month's Ramadan project off of Avatar The Last Airbender. So for folks who are engaged with that, I'm sure you will love what we've come up with. Um, So as you know, there's the four elements of air, water, earth, and fire. And yes. we're going to spend each week kind of going through each element, focus on different aspects of the environment by focusing on these uh, different elements. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be, um, I'm not going to give up too much because our, our yeah, team no has spoilers. done a wonderful job. No spoilers on this, but there's some exciting things in there. So please check it out. Please engage with us. Day one of Ramadan is potentially today. So you might be starting off with uh, with air as your element. So be sure to check that out on Instagram uh, at Green Oma. We will certainly share that out as well. Yeah.
I, I don't want to give up too much of that because I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to ruin the team's uh, momentum and what they're creating, but I, I could perhaps let listeners know of what we did uh, last year and, and sure. the year before. Well, let's do that. In, in 2020, we had a same kind of a, a breakdown with the four weeks of, of Ramadan. We focused each week on a different topic being water conservation, food waste, energy conservation, and engaging with nature. And, you know, providing tips on how you can do it or why it's important, a couple of challenges and and a couple of, uh, of unique activities as well for, for folks to do at home. This was, of course, the first COVID, uh, COVID had just hit around that time. So yes. uh, we, we were glad to, to get the response that we did from folks. And last year was all about sustainable living and waste reduction for the entire month. And we also had a webinar called a how-to of having an environmentally friendly Ramadan. So that's available on our YouTube channel at Green Ummah. Feel free to check that webinar out. Even if you're not Muslim, there's some great tips on how to live your life in a more environmentally friendly way. And Ramadan for us is a time to start some habits and hopefully continue them throughout the year and beyond. So hopefully, even if you're not Muslim, this is a time where you can check out that video and get some habits on sustainable living that you can carry into your life. Yep. Can you share one tip putting you on the spot again? Oh, putting me on the spot again. God, Twice. I <laughs> Twice. Well, I did make you talk about oppression and the what trip. was it? Oppression and, and uh, privilege. privilege. And that is a very tough. I feel like we're even now. I feel... Sure. Tough, but important. And I don't mind talking about it. But yes, perhaps we're even. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go with even. I, I didn't mean to put you yeah. on the spot with that one either. But one of the things that we got from our workshop was the importance of eating vegetarian or vegan meals and implementing them even on a slow basis. I have to say I'm a little bit of a hypocrite here as well. I eat meat, but I am doing my very best to start implementing it slowly and and to understand why it's important. But we do have tons and tons and tons of tips and tricks. If you check out our our Instagram, there's tips we have on how to reuse um, or how to use food uh, fruit that might be just about to go bad or over ripened um, mm. and, and recipes for that and awesome little tips and tricks like that uh, that you would hopefully be able to implement into your daily lives for the Muslim people listing there's some good stuff there about how to do with you as well um, so check that out as well uh, so you can conserve some water while you're uh, uh, before your prayers excellent final point or final question in the magazine, Green Teacher Magazine, we run this Finding Common Ground sub-series where we feature one article where we are, well, for lack of a better term, trying to find common ground. We're looking for overlap and synergies. In the spirit of that, what opportunities exist for collaboration among Muslim and non-Muslim youths in environmental education? I think the question is very interesting, but I think the way I, I would look at that is that the Muslim community, Muslim youth are open to almost everything, but we have been oftentimes either left out of these spaces and conversations or forced to try and knock down the doors and get into these conversations. So first thing I would say is if you guys are doing some some work in the community, feel free to reach out to Muslim leaders within that community and engage that Muslim community. Uh, the community is open to, to working in, in very different ways. And we are also getting more open to um, environmentalism because of historical things. I think the Muslim community hasn't been so focused on it, but we were also dealing with uh, with quite a lot in the past 20 years or so. Yes. So the conversations are starting in these spaces. Our youth are invigorated and ready to work. A lot of the youth I see around um, the, the different Future for Friday, Fridays for Future campaigns uh, in different municipalities in Toronto, a lot of Muslim youth are engaged there. So I would say reach out, include the Muslim communities. Um, mosques are starting to have environmental committees on them. Reach out to the people who are there. Um, I, I, Ian, I know uh, we got connected through uh, through Nazish in uh, in Calgary, and yeah, from Green she Learning. Runs the, from Green Learning, and she runs the environmental committee over at Akram Drama Mosque in Calgary as well, and they do such amazing work. And other youth who are stepping up to do amazing work. So, reach out to them, include them. Don't always make it a, a one way street where our communities have to come to you especially when it comes to accessing nature and reducing the barriers to nature and activities within nature. There's work done from Nature Canada and other places that show that our communities are 
I have many more barriers to accessing these nature spaces for a variety of reasons, but get us involved, get us engaged, and we will reciprocate. We are going to be out there with you and we are ready to learn and engage on, on these topics. That's, I think that's what I would say to that. So to summarize that, it's the partnerships are there if we look for them. If you build it, they will come. And I say that because I just rewatched Field of Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> if you build it, they will come. That's that. I should have just started with that. You know, I didn't hear. Yeah. Should type that into the chat box for me, and I would have, uh, would have said that one. But yeah, love, love the Kevin Costner references. Yeah, we're we're out here though. We're out here. Just come find us. Yeah. Keep the conversation going. Well, I'm so grateful for having this conversation. We're looking forward to getting the word out and seeing what other potential opportunities for collaboration are down the road. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me in and um, for our many conversations. I always enjoy uh, enjoy speaking with you and I hope, uh, I hope we get the chance to, to talk again soon. Between the Ramadan Challenge and the four modules of the Green OMA curriculum, the teacher feels confident that her class will have an enriching Earth Month, full of environmental and cultural discovery. In terms of where to start, wasn't there an old KWL chart lying around somewhere? Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terrien. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. I had most of it yours? memorized. I, that's hilarious because, okay, so I was at the barber shop before COVID and this little kid comes in with his dad. Mm-hmm. And so the barber shop owner is like, oh, I'm just going to put the Lion King on the TV. No, no audio. And I had to wait in that barber shop for two hours to get my haircut. But I watched the entire movie and knew exactly what they were yeah. saying the entire <laughs> time. That's how much I've watched the Lion King. It's unhealthy.